Ho, ho, ho. Welcome back to Restless. I'm Father Joseph, but it's not Christmas yet. It's still Advent. Three more days. And then the great holiday of Christmas comes up and you've joined myself and Joe as we eagerly anticipate Christmas. Do you look forward to it as much as an adult as you did as a little kid? No, I don't think anybody looks forward to Christmas as much as an adult as they do as a kid, do they? Did you look forward to it a lot as a little kid? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's every good thing for a kid at once, right? You're out of school for a few weeks. You're seeing family and cousins and stuff. You're getting stuff. You're eating more food and cookies and whatnot. I mean, come on, you know? Yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah. yeah, it was it was all the good things. And also, like as a kid, you don't have to buy anybody gifts. And so all the all the stress of the season... You know, that's true. It's, it's not existing. You just, I don't, I don't know. It seems fine to me. That's you know? true. You just have to like draw them a card and mom's happy, you know? Yeah. Or like the, the classic, like buy mom a gift with dad's money and vice versa. Yeah, you know? exactly. Great. Like, <laughs> I wish I could do that now. Did, yeah. In your school growing up, did they have one of those like, like Santa's workshop things where like, little kids can bring in $2 and get like some trinket? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I, I definitely I have, remember that. There's, uh, um, Ornaments were made at various points in my childhood at school. Um, cookies were baked and made into ornaments. I know we had them until recently. Yes. Still have my, and it's, I remember, like, it's like my, I made these like 20 years ago at this point. Like, <laughs> we painted a cookie. So you think we should throw it out at some point? Probably still know? good. I don't know. No, I remember my, my favorite ornament that I made was in kindergarten, where we actually took um, paper and cut it out into gingerbread, sh- you know, person shapes, and we filled it with potpourri. And so it smelled really good. And you put it on the tree and it smelled like potpourri. And it smelled like potpourri for like five or 10 years. And then it doesn't, but we still put it on the tree anyway. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Definitely my favorite Christmas, Christmas ornament memory. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so often, of course, Christmas is uh, in the secular world. It's over on December 26th. But we as Christians believe Christmas continues. And that's the good news. So um, let's talk about some of the other things around Christmas, because we always share about our Christmas memories. But, you know, Christmas, as it continues, has a lot of incredible feasts this coming week. So, for example, Feast of St. Stephen. Yes. Why, why in the world would they put the Feast of the First Bloody Martyr right after the Feast of the Birth of Our Savior? I have no idea. Why do they do that? Well, I kind of thought there was going to be a better answer. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. For me, I, I've always kind of, I, this is something I've always preached on is that, you know, when, when Christ came, he came to open the gates of heaven, right? And so it's only fitting that the, that somebody should, should kind of storm those gates and enter and, and enter with his own blood because, because Christ taking flesh is means that our flesh can, can lay down its life for him, that our body has meaning and our sacrificing our life has meaning. Makes sense. I like it. I don't know. Just throwing that, throwing that one out <laughs> so there. So Stephen, the, what day is that? 27th? 26th. 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 27th Holy Innocence? No, 27th is the Feast of St. John, the Apostle. Oh, okay. When's the Holy Innocence? 28th. 28th. Yeah. So we have a lot. So let's talk about the Holy Innocence, right? Yeah. So in Holy Innocence, um, this is something I have always wrestled with. How can you call someone a martyr when they were too young to even... I always heard the phrase proto-martyr as it relates to the Holy Innocence. I don't know if that's... A proto just means first, but... Sure. Well, it's sort of... Yeah, but it has a connotation of um, like un, like, a, like unformed or semi almost. Like um, like a prototype. Yeah. Uh, first try. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, yeah, because they're not... I mean, they're not... like classically think of a martyr as somebody who affirms the faith when asked to deny it under penalty of death and then takes that death, right? And right. so obviously that's not them. Um, I always, I um, one of the kind of weird things I do is I try to pray thematically with, it's not weird, it's sort of what you're supposed to do, but pray thematically <laughs> with like what is going on in the life of the church. And so sure. I always try to spend some amount of the day praying for the unborn on the Feast of Holy Innocence. Mm. It's interesting that that's, that's like, it's like, right, Merry Christmas, you know, um, now it's an opportunity to pray for the unborn and pray for a new abortion. Um, yeah, it is sort of a strange time of year, but a rather strange timing that it happens that this you know, in this time of year. But um, you know, like 
maybe part of it is that we tend to have like the Bambi version of Christmas, you know, like every like Christmas is just like Jesus in a manger and, and like it's and everything. Little nice kids in bathrobes, you know, yeah, and their pageant like, and everything. But I mean, you know, that's not what it was like for the first family, for, for the for the um for the Holy Family, right? So um, we forget how gross that was. Have you ever tried to lay in straw? Never in my entire life. No, you should try it sometime. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. You're not a camp- camping guy. I mean, I've done hay rides. Okay, so imagine making your bed on a hayride, right? Yeah. I mean, you got bugs crawling on you. Sure. It is pokey. This is not yeah. like a nice soft bed. And then not to mention that they're immediately put to flight because of Herod. And there is something which is like, all right, we have now, you know, like one of the one of the ways to approach Advent spiritually is use it to pray for the coming of Jesus into our own lives, right? Um, and the immediate reaction to Jesus entering into the world right? Uh, his, he was in the world, but his own did not know him, is that the world rebels against him and Herod tries to kill him. Like the world, which is the, the political power of the time, Herod tries to kill him. So, yeah. And like, that's not, that's also true about us. Like, like if we are taking Advent to prepare ourselves to to welcome Christ into our lives in a more profound way, and that does happen on Christmas, we have to, like, there's this reality of Stephen's martyrdom, of the holy innocence, you know, of like, th- this is not going to be easy. Um, there will be trials. The world's not happy that we're, he- that we're here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so maybe it's just good to remember that. It's almost like I'm just coming up with this uh, this analogy on the spot, but you know how like people, when people get, <laughs> when people get like, um, you know, a new heart implant or something, they have to make sure that their body doesn't reject it. Yeah. And like, why would the body reject? This is the best thing for it, you know, to get a new heart or a new kidney or whatever it is. Sure. But, but the body's like, no, get out of here. Yeah, it's antibody response. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of just the gut reaction, no pun intended. Right. Uh. But, <laughs> and that's, that's the same thing. I mean, Christ came into the world and the world's first reaction is no, get out of here. You're not one of us. You're not like us. Yeah. Which is true. We're not like them. Right. I mean, Christ, as you know, John Paul II says, Christ reveals man to himself. Right. And in looking at him, we realize how far we've fallen from who we should be. And and uh, when you're faced with that reality, you have only two options. You can repent or you can rebel. Yeah, like I think of um, was the was the uh, the Magi who the the story ends that they returned to their country by another way. Um, yeah. And Bishop Barron makes the point that, that that's speaking of a conversion of heart, that anybody who truly goes to encounter Jesus and does encounter him, goes back different, goes back changed. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I'm stolen from Bishop Barron. But. Thank you. I might use that for my epiphany homily this year. Anytime. That's good. <laughs> now, I, I don't know if you've uh, paid attention to the recent canonization of the Olma family. Nope. So there's, there's a whole family that uh, died protecting Jews in the Holocaust. I, I, don't, I can't remember if they're Polish or German, um, but, but they, they died and they canonized the parents, of course, and they canonized all the kids, including kids that were too young to really know what was going on. And they canonized the unborn child Great. of the mom, which I mean, I'm very pro-life, of course, right? So absolutely, you know, an unborn child has a soul. Wasn't totally thrilled with that idea of the canonization of someone that isn't even out of utero. Because then by, by you know, contrast, are you canonizing all of the aborted babies in the world, right? Because they kind of died as martyrs, if they, you know, if, as it were. It's interesting because not only is that sort of a novel approach to some extent, but it kind of flies in the face of what a lot of Catholics, like, kind of conjecture about the state of, of the souls of those who die without being born. Right, right. I mean, I mean, the whole original sin thing, right? You need baptism. One might, you know, one yes, would make the argument. But there are other baptisms than a sacramental baptism. Baptism of blood, right. sure. Sure, and one might say that they and suffered that. Certainly, sounds like if these people were, were Catholics who are doing these things and canonized, sounds like they would have been baptized. Oh, definitely, yeah. There's so. the baptism of desire too for the child, but uh, well, for the parents, probably. yeah, from the parents yeah. to the child, kind of their their yeah. will. I don't know. I, I would kind of I wrestle with that point, and, yeah. and th- thinking of that with the holy innocence. Like you know, I think it's it's good to hold up 
children as as models of holiness, definitely. Because Christ says, unless you become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God in all the good ways that kids are good, you know. But at the same time, I kind of wonder, like, yeah, hmm, because have we, gone, have we crossed the, gone a little too far on that? Sure, because it's sort of interesting. I'm just kind of thinking it through now, right? Because, like, you know, the whole thing is that um, you know, angels don't learn discursively, right? So they have the opportunity. They're sort of like they receive all the information they need for salvation and they make a decision in a moment, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's their moral decision for their entirety of their existence, right? So that's why there are fallen angels because they rejected God in, a, in an instance though, not like where we learn over time and we sin and we do better and blah, 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 blah. And then hopefully over the course of a life, we choose him. Yeah. There is still a choice there. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about what does it mean for someone as a saint who never had an, who never offered any kind of fiat that we are aware of. But I think the most important part of that is that we're aware of you know, yeah. So like we don't really know. I mean, you know, who knows? The, 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 maybe there is some way in which they offer some sort of fiat to God that we're not aware of. Sure. Um, well, I've been reading, rereading uh, an amazing, amazing book called The Life of Mary According to the Mystics. Okay. Which is beautiful. It's just about um, some of the visions that uh, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich and uh, Venerable Mary of Agreda and some diff- you know, different um, saints have seen kind of the early life of Mary. And of course, it's private revelation. But one of the things that they claim in that book is that Mary had the use of her reason from the moment of her birth, which I've, I've heard, I mean, I've heard I mean, Christ, of course, had that too, right? That, that from right out of the womb, he knew what was going on. He had full consciousness. It's not, you know, he wasn't just simply acting on instinct like most babies do. And so I, I would assume it's possible for God to give that gift to somebody that's below the age of reason, quote unquote, um, the gift of reason to be able to make that choice maybe in an instant or for an instant. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. And also speculation. I, mean, but I don't know how far along this child was. Do you know that was, that was canonized? I mean, obviously it was, it was far enough along that they knew uh, the gender and they knew because um, that it was a baby, you know, you know, like life doesn't begin at birth, you know, and I don't just mean that this is obviously life, but what I mean is that, you know, uh, this uh, um, a trauma therapist came to give a presentation to our seminary uh, at the beginning of the semester, and she was saying that she's actually really amazing stuff. Um, just the the ways in which past traumas can really inhibit you, even physiologically now. Mm. But she was saying that she's had people who had no memory of any kind of trauma, but when asking family members if thus such or whatever had happened, you know, family members would say, "Oh yeah, you know, you did fall down a well when you were like four months old, and you were crying for like an hour until we found you." And it's like, well, you're claustrophobic. And so she was saying that even, and even uh, this pre-verbal trauma, and even, I think I remember her saying something like, even prior to being born, you can kind of imbibe traumas from around, from your mother or whatever. Hmm. And so maybe um, on one hand, perhaps the extent to which the child is um, extricable from her mother, from its mother, is not absolute. Like if the mother's making a fiat, perhaps somehow there's a trauma being built into that for the child that they're, that they're kind of processing or something like that. On the other hand, there are like, they are human beings with brains, even in the womb. And so I think all of this is just to say that, like, we don't know. Yeah, it's kind, know, of a, we, kind of a kind of mystery. And it's sort of, and it's a beautiful testament to the church's understanding that, again, we don't, we don't, we don't begin existing when we're born. Right, um, right. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, somebody smarter than I, perhaps yeah. even smarter than you, must look at the Vatican. <laughs> to, uh, I don't know to, how to there are any out there, but it's hard, it's hard to imagine. But hopefully, they found somebody to look at this in the Vatican. So. Well, but you know, it's interesting that uh, even the church doesn't officially define exactly at the moment of insolment, yeah. right? St. Thomas Aquinas speculated that insolment happened in what they call the quickening, right? right. When the baby started to move in the mother's womb. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and it does bring up questions when you talk about like uh, biology, like if you have a Siamese twin that doesn't split until a day later after conception, 
well, were there two souls in that one being, you know? It's or, funny. Um, it's, my, my cousin had twins last February and he asked me this question. He said, because like it's, it's one, you know, fertilized egg, which splits. And so where, and the answer was, I, I certainly don't know, right. um, you know. And that's why the church, the church, even if insolment doesn't happen, life begins at conception, period. <laughs> Human life, it is a human yeah. life, it is a human being with human dignity, is, you know? Yeah, right. So we don't know about the soul piece, but, but we always have to assume that the soul's there unless proven otherwise. So the fact that it is a living creature, there's some sort of spiritual reality that makes it alive. So, you know, I'm not in any way saying it's not, you know, not of worthy of protection from the first moment of conception. It definitely is. Of course, yeah. But huh, That's good though. I'm glad you brought that up. That's interesting. So speculation, but, yeah. but oh. connected to the Feast of the Holy Innocents coming yes. up. But uh, let's go back one day to the feast of St. John, the apostle. Mm -hmm. Now, some people wrestle with St. John because he calls himself the beloved disciple. Has ever, that ever struck you as kind of like abrasive, like prideful? Uh, it's, just, it's just hilarious. You know, this is awesome. It's how I would <laughs> Jesus do it. liked me yeah. first. <laughs> and then Jesus' favorite disciple said, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, there was the obvious one that everybody always laughs at of him recording that he ran to the tomb faster than Peter. Right, right. It's great. And Peter's like, who's going to know? Yeah. John's like, everybody. Yeah, every, every single person. Yeah, no. I, don't, I mean, it's funny. I doesn't like, I don't think it's probably, it must be pointing to something important. I've heard speculation that John was perhaps a lot younger than the other apostles. And so he perhaps had a more, um, it's a different relationship with Jesus, Yeah, perhaps. Um, I would think so because, you know, leaning on someone's chest to say. is a little awkward when you're 19 years old. Which Jesus, you know, right. John did at the Although, Last Supper. Like, that's a, a beautiful image to pray with, of just like the, the closeness of John to Jesus. Yeah, he could hear the Sacred Heart beating, you know, and that's yeah. But just like like um, it's an image that I I, I really like. Um, last year in seminary, we were at this thing. It's like football game doesn't matter, but uh, <laughs> we're all like in this box, and I look over, and one of the faculty members from the seminary was there with his family, and so one of our seminarians like was all over this and he had little kids. So he like, kind of hold the baby. So I turn around and this guy, he's like talking to the, to the, to the father and the baby's on his chest, like, like sprawled out face down this guy's chest, head to the side. And I was just looking at it and it's like, now this wasn't his father, but it's like, you've seen this, we've all seen this before, like a little baby on his father's chest. And like, there's so, there's so much trust there. The baby like literally is rising and falling as the father breathes. And there's just no distance or, um, no separation. Them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's something really beautiful about that. And so there's something maybe going on there with John. And with Jesus, you know, which yeah. ultimately is the posture we want vis-a-vis -vis Jesus, right? Is childlike faith. Yes, definitely. Definitely. There's that, that mystical image of that, that union of, of soul and body, which I think that, that's why um, St. Peter's always been seen as the institutional church and St. John's always been seen as the mystical church. Yeah. And that St. John had that, that mystical insight. And even though he wasn't given the authority, he was, I mean, of course he was as an apostle, but he wasn't given, you know, the leadership right. role still. He was the one that got to the tomb first because he was the one that arrived at the resurrected faith first because his love was greater. Yeah. The mysticism was greater. And yeah. And, and yet, right, he stays out of the tomb until Peter arrives. Right. Right. So right. There's, this, there's this interplay between yeah, authority, which is important, and, and the sort of in, individual relationship with Christ, which is important. Right. right? And so the interior he, life. Not, yeah. It's not as, as usual with Catholics, it's not one. Right. It's both and, it's everything. Yeah. I've been uh, reading this this book that uh, a very dear friend wrote um, about this Fran Franciscan friar by the name of Savonrola, Savon Savonrola. Don't know if you've heard of this guy. So back in the 1400s in Florence, there was widespread corruption because it was Italy in the 1400s. Right. And, um, Italy at any time. Yeah, Italy, yeah, any, right. Italy at any point. And, <laughs> and he was a revolutionary in the fact that um, he actually reached out to women 
most of the most of the reform efforts were always at men, aimed at men, and women's role was just you know be in the home and be quiet and do nothing, right? But he actually reached out to to women, and one of his big things was called the bonfire vanities, hmm, which you I may have heard term, of, yeah. yeah. Which he would encourage women to bring their you know cosmetics and their their mirrors and stuff, and basically have a big bonfire where they're throwing all of their vanities aside and just living for Christ alone. And um, it was it was this revolutionary new thing, and so the Vatican started to persecute him. Sure. And he ended up being called in front of the Inquisition and he ended up being burnt at the stake. Sadly, although I think he was, you know, late, you know later exonerated and certainly uh, actually a very holy man, wasn't trying to break from Rome or anything. But uh, it's the idea of that he, he was almost avant-garde ahead of his time, which was so controversial in Rome, you know, that eventually, oh, by the way, yeah, I guess he was right. <laughs> yeah, about that. So, so yeah. Even if you have a new spiritual insight, make sure that um, your bishop keep, is keep it quiet. You make sure your bishop <laughs> so is in yourself. favor of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Don't ruin anybody's. Don't ruin Otherwise, anybody's you could get you know burnt at the stake. Yeah, you so, want that. It's a real danger here around yeah. <laughs> in these parts. Yeah, it's the hazard of the job. Hazard of the job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we got a few more great feast days coming up yeah. there. Feast of uh, Mary, the Mother of God. Yes, unless for some reason you're in America and it's a Monday or Saturday, in which case just take it easy. Well, not a holy day of obligation, yeah. but still, <laughs> still sure, a feast. It's still unclear to me why why we came up with that. Like what they are? What, do you do you know anything about why that is? Heaven forbid we make Catholics go to mass two days in a row. Except for like, when? Except for Christmas. Right? Like literally, what's good? Any time that that feast day is on a Monday, you have to go to mass two days in a row the week prior because, right? Because Christmas Day is, is after the, the fourth Sunday of Advent. Right. So F, this is a public service announcement to all of our listeners. Yeah. You must go to mass twice. No, you get to go to mass. Twice. You get to go to mass. Because why a- would you pre- spend Advent preparing for Christmas and then skip the last quarter of the preparation? Like it's the fourth Sunday of Advent. It's four only four Sundays of Advent. I know. If you're you a football, if, this one. if you're a football team and you only yeah. show up for three quarters, right. like if you go from yeah, priest vestments go from pink to white, you missed something very important <laughs> going on. You know what I mean? You, <laughs> you missed did. the whole thing that you you know. And the like you the did, you did. You. Um, the prayers for Advent are beautiful. The, the Advent, oh my gosh, Advent, I love. Advent two preface yeah. is gorgeous. It is. The, the collect is very beautiful. It's basically the Angelus. So go. So the gospel reading is very good. As an aside, I, I only know this because I was taking an elective to learn how to chant the mass. And we had to, for my final, we had to, he signed us a Sunday and I had, mine was the fourth Sunday of Advent. Oh, nice. So okay. So you really got to know the text. Well. So actually, I have the text in my head. So it's beautiful. Go, don't miss it because you've, I don't know what, you know. Well, here's, here's why they would miss it. Because when I used to, uh, when I lived in Stanford, I celebrated Christmas Eve mass at a nursing home before the four o'clock. So it was a 2 p.m. mass. And there were maybe 30 nursing home residents and about 90 others who decided it was the earliest mass in town for their Christmas Eve. So they went to that mass instead. And I'm worried that people are going to go to the 1130 mass here and think that counts for Christmas. Okay. But say the whole Christmas Eve Ning, right? So 11 a.m. doesn't yeah, count Yeah, but Christmas Eve. Eve is technically the whole day, right? It's, Christmas Eve lives in our hearts. Christmas uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, public service announcement, you must yes. go. You have the opportunity, the joy. Yes, the, the, and man, the mandatory opportunity to go. The mandatory <laughs> opportunity, yes. Exactly. You're voluntold. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, Feast of Mary, the Mother of God. So did you know um, that, that before Second Vatican Council, it had a different name? Nope. It was called the Feast of the Circumcision of Our Lord. Cool. And I think for obvious reasons, I'm glad it changed. What are, those obvi- what are those obvious reasons? Just for those who don't see them, obviously. Uh, <laughs> there's some homilies you just don't want to give. And the meaning of circumcision is not one that I, it's particularly family friendly. He's cowardly priest, I tell you. I know, right? I know. So <laughs> don't want to preach circumcision. Vatican II priest. That's, that's right. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all Vatican II priest. One, one priest circumcision. <laughs> but, uh, but I love how you start off the new year by consecrating it to Our Lady. Yeah. That is also pretty important. 
Yeah, and it's a good test. It's like, okay, I may not get martyred, martyred, but I do have to get up for mass New Year's Day after staying up late New Year's Eve. So, you know. Do you stay up to midnight? No, okay, no, absolutely not, if I can avoid it. Yeah, me neither. Um, I think I'll be bed at 9 p.m. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm an old man, you know? And so I try to go to bed at early. At 26? 25. 25, 25. Um, so, you know, I, I try to be in bed by like 9.30. Have you had a quarter life crisis yet? Um, I guess I would have been, I would have been eight, right? 16, <laughs> 16 24. Yeah. About eight, eight and a quarter, eight and a half. No, no, like no, no, no. You're, you're at your quarter life now. Like, oh, well, we don't know that, but uh, no, I mean, assuming you lived to a hundred. Yeah. It could have been, could have yeah. been five years ago. I don't know. Frankly, quarter life crisis seems ambitious for me. Maybe a hundred seems highly unlikely, but you know, <laughs> who knows? You take good care of yourself. Yeah. God's will be done. <laughs> yes. Um, I remember where, what was being said. Um, Something about going going to sleep early on the to prepare oh, yeah. yourself for Christmas. Yeah, New Year's Eve is. I, I, it's I don't get it. It's it's one of those holidays. I think it's a bit like Valentine's Day for those who are not celibate. Like you, <laughs> you feel pressure to have plans and have fun on New, New Year's Eve. Yeah. I, I don't typically have plans or fun on New Year's Eve, and it's fine. You move on. So this year Valentine's Day falls on Ash Wednesday. Perfect. So I'm uh, going. That'll to, show them. I'm going to give, <laughs> I'm going to give Valentine's hearts to say, remember your dust and unto dust you shall return. <laughs> yeah, made out of ash. They take it and just collapse into their hand. You know, just dissolve in their hands. Exactly. Or may just make a heart on someone's forehead with ashes. Don't forget to fast on your date. <laughs> exactly. Bread and water, baby. That's it. Yeah. That's Bread right. and water restaurants. They should have a special. You know. <laughs> that's it. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so feast and marry the mother of God. Love that one. And then we we come up with the epiphany. Yes. Which so, is the end of the Christmas season? No, no. I've heard so many different options. No. What's your What's your answer to this? Well, the the actual answer is the, okay. the baptism of our Lord. Okay, well, right, I'll take it. Yeah, I've heard. I've, it's one of those. It is like a weird date because you try to look it up. I've I've looked it into every year, and if I, I both I never seem to retain the information, but it's also never just like as easy as reading a single article. Like, right, there's a lot of debate over this because some people celebrate it on January sixth, some people Sunday celebrate it on the Sunday, January closest to January sixth. Liturgically, it's the Sunday closest to January sixth. So this year, I think it's January 8th. The Sunday closes Epiphany. January 6th. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Christmas season kind of gets the short shrift. Like in, um, you know, all the way back in, uh, before the Second Vatican Council, Christmas season went all the way to the Feast of the Presentation on February 2nd. Right. I think that's part of the confusion. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of a clearer ending of that. It's 40 days. Yeah. I don't know. Should we extend Christmas season? Um, not, that, not that we have any power to do so, but. No, I mean, 40 days is like. I mean, I know this is not like strictly speaking true, but it seems to be you know, kind of a penitential number in our lives. Yeah, it's the number of testing and purification. Yeah, so it seems kind of silly to make the Christmas season is not a penitential season. Yeah. So yeah. the symbolism seems a little mixed on that. But it's shorter, than, like the Christmas season is shorter than Advent, which I think is too bad. Yeah, but it's weird too because Advent's not strictly, it's not just a season of penance. Like it, it is, but it's more than that. It's not like, right. you know what I mean? So right. the whole, I just, yeah, um... Or just you know to prepare for something, and the something is shorter than what we're preparing for. And they're still like, okay, I'm gonna. Um, this is on the fly, so you know, just ignore the heresies that no doubt will be, are about to come forward. But like, <laughs> I'll correct them know, all. So like in Lent, right? We have this long fast, and then we have this tremendous victory. Yes. That we celebrate for you know for just like for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. The longest I think is that no, I guess the second longest probably is liturgical season would be well ordinary time. Right, right. So oh. That's what makes Easter second longest liturgical season. Yeah, fifty um, days of Easter. Right. So, but you know. If you take the year as it is, the victory is not won on Christmas, right? And so there's something to be said of like, all right, we're preparing. All right, 
Jesus is here. We're celebrating. All right, now there's like a work to do though. Like he's off in Egypt. He and the Holy Family are off in Egypt. You know, like we're, we're moving to ordinary time. We're celebrating his life. So there's something to be said about, you know, the victory is not won and the brevity of the Christmas season kind of seems to respect that reality that there is still the salvific mission to accomplish yeah. while still celebrating the tremendous fact of the incarnation, which I often think kind of gets short shrift in our thinking because I think we tend to th- focus on the resurrection, which is obviously, you know, the crowning, the crowning jewel of our faith, right? And it's, it's of the most importance, but the incarnation just changes everything too. You know, I mean, it's like, I don't think we like really grapple with the ways in which the incarnation changes the reality of humanity. I, I feel like maybe because it was more hotly debated in the early church, the incarnation was emphasized in the early church. And then the medievals kind of shifted more towards the, the passion and death than resurrection. And I mean, it was very hotly debated because a lot of people thought, well, maybe Jesus was just an apparition, like the angels, you know, maybe he didn't really take on right. flesh and, yeah. or maybe he was not truly God, right? That was right. the Arian heresy. Yeah. And, Heresies, yeah. and so I think they had to, they had to defend the incarnation yeah. in a really powerful way. And then, but then you think it lost emphasis over the years, is what you're saying? Yeah, and of course, I mean, because of the commercialization of Christmas, yeah. it's lost some emphasis, which I'm, I think it would be almost impossible to really commercialize Easter. You know, you got the Easter Bunny, okay, but I mean, yeah. people don't listen to Easter songs that are secular, right? I mean, people listen lots. No one, yeah, I mean, people don't listen to Easter songs who are religious, but right. <laughs> That's so. So, some of you know I'm a musician, and uh, I'm actually working on a new album. Coming out uh, summer of 2024. Nice. But uh, but I do hope. I'm, I I would. Everyone's been like, you need to make a Christmas album. You need to make a Christmas album. I'm like, no, I'm gonna make an Easter album. Yeah. Lent and Easter songs, dirges, and then rejoicing. Perfect. Um, Cause you gotta have something to listen to during yeah, Easter. No doubt. No, I mean uh, Christmas music, like the the you know Christmas hymns, Christmas chants, really are tremendous. You know, I just finished finals, and. Um, I like to have something going on that I'm listening to, but I can't do podcasts while I'm studying because I won't study anything. So yeah. I found a, a Spotify album of Christmas chant and, and hymns. Mm. It's amazing how just how beautiful um, so much of the music around. Yeah, I have to say, yeah. my "Hark the Herald Angels Sing" is yeah. for me so moving. I mean, "Come, Come, Emmanuel" is still my favorite. I think my favorite hymn of all time. Yeah, and I agree. It's beautiful in both languages. You know, the two languages, Latin and English. <laughs> and this morning, <laughs> this morning morning prayer, we we sang the second, third, and fourth verses of Come, Come, Manual. It's just beautiful. Everybody knows that hymn. It's a very yeah. easy um, melody to follow. And so everyone's just singing really loudly. It's just so beautiful. And you got to, even in the sixth and seventh verse, which no one ever sings, you know, you got to get down there and you get some really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I mean, look, that would be unjust to make me sit through seven verses of a hymn during morning prayer. No, but no. You know what I mean? It's you're right. fourth day. You're like, all right, we're singing verses six and seven today. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the bravery doesn't give you that many options for hymns. And I know Obviously, all of our listeners who pray the bravery sing a hymn every time they pray an hour because that's what the church wants you to do. So it doesn't give that many options, though. So you know, you have you have you, do, you should be moving through Come Come Emmanuel in both English and Latin because it's there. Yeah, know? it's one of the, like the three options. Right? But I also so, don't think you're required to use those hymns. You can use other no, hymns. Of course not. Yeah. So, no. And but while you're singing the required hymn, you're not required to use those hymns. Right. Right. Yeah. No. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I'm. Uh, not a singer when it comes to by, by myself in the church, but that's okay. Nevertheless, yeah, I mean, I love that hymn. And, but Hark the Herald Angels Sing to me has always been my go-to because like, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Yeah, that is beautiful. Like, what a line, you know? Yeah. It makes you really realize, if you think about the, the, the meaning of the season. Sure. Because Christmas, I, I, one of the reasons I, I've never been a huge fan of Christmas is the, the tendency towards sentimentality. Yeah, you know, you're a pretty unsentimental person. I'm a very unsentimental person, yeah. <laughs> because I want something richer than just feelings, right? And and when you meditate on the real mystery of the incarnation, it's deeper than feelings. It's, sure. it's the most profound act of it's love. Vibes. It's vibes. It's deeper than feelings, it's vibes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's movements of the soul. New heresy, 
the sun is a vibe. The <laughs> sun is a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe in California. I don't know. Not, no. <laughs> not here in Connecticut. Um, the other one, and this is um, maybe a little hokey, I don't know, is um, We Three Kings. I don't know if that's like if people like that hymn or not. I love it. Yeah, I, I love I, it. I think it's it it you know you're kind of listening to like the kids sing it during the Christmas concert or whatever, but it really is beautiful. And, you know, like the um, the fourth verse, right? Um, Myrrh is mine. It's bitter yeah, perfume. Yeah, yeah. That's never gets sung. Breathes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, still in the stone cold tomb. Yeah. Like, gee whiz. But then it moves into this very triumphant. You know, glorious now behold him arise, King God, sacrifice. Yeah. Earth, heaven, that's beautiful. That's why you got to do all five verses of all these hymns. Yeah. Or like, did you know, um, yes. uh, what was, oh gosh, um, <laughs> what child is this? You know, everyone goes right to the refrain, right? Hey, I can't remember it. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's not mad. But there's actually, it, there's actually a second refrain that's never sung. Nail spear shall pierce him through. The son of God died for me and you or something like that. And, and it's actually about the crucifixion, which is, sure. which in the early church, that was always the connection, right? Christ took on flesh so that he would die. That was St. Anselm wrote a whole book on that. Yeah. Cur Deus Homo spent 700 pages trying to figure out why did God become man? And the answer was to die. Yeah. Yeah. Because that which is not assumed is not saved. Right. Right. He needed to offer that as a sacrifice on the cross. And, and it's, you know, it's a painful reality, but it's also something that, you know, you look forward to the triumph at the end. So the question is, why are, why are you born? Why did you take flesh? And why did God give you a, a body? Well, to die so that you can rise. Right. So it can reign with him forever in glory in heaven. That's our hope. Well, I hope you all have a very merry, jolly, happy, wonderful Christmas. On that, on that note. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> merry Christmas, go die. <laughs> go die and go rise with Christ, indeed. <laughs> Daily. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time. God bless.